Good morning. Welcome to TBA. My name is Ed Diaz. I am not one of the pastors here, but they allow me to share here once a month or so. It is great to be here. Love to be here. How many of you are watching the Olympics? Woo! My third son came in uh, for the weekend, and uh, we, when he was a little boy, about three, uh, I, my wife said, what are we doing tonight? I said, we're going to watch the Olympics. And he thought it was Olympics. And so it came time for bed. I said, you need to go to bed. He said, we never saw the pigs. I said, oh, poor guy. He's kind of brain damaged from an early age. <laughs> Actually, I like the Winter Olympics, but there are no actual sports in the Winter Olympics. Did you know that? For the most part, they're either activities of violence or modes of transportation. <laughs> and uh, I love hockey. Did you see the hockey thing yesterday? Yeah, USA. Now, here's the deal. It's cool because... All through the Olympics, there are these storylines. And, and guys, if you want your wives to watch, you've got to let them watch the storyline pieces, the up-close-and-personal stuff. And a guy by the name of Oshi beat the Russian hockey team yesterday. Oshi was big in Sochi. He took six penalty shots. Who knew they have different rules in the Olympics? There's another cool storyline in the Olympics I like. We watched a little speed skater from Missouri. Her name was Emily. And Emily was raised by a single father. Her mom was incarcerated over the years. And uh, she made the team, but she had no money, and she needed to raise funds to be able to train until the Olympics. So she went on one of those fundraising websites, and it was such a sweet thing. I think it was 700 people responded, uh, including a military guy who'd been in, in Afghanistan. He said, you deserve the honor of wearing your country's uniform that I had while serving my country. It was just kind of a very near and dear move. Gave you the chills, didn't it? And so there are a lot of neat storylines in the Olympics, uh, one today is, is uh, the, the coolest name in the Olympics is Lolo Jones. Now, Lolo is a summer Olympian, but in the tradition and manner of the Jamaican bobsled team, Lolo has made the women's two-person bobsled team, and they have their heats today. So I'll be watching Lolo Jones. I love that name, Lolo. Well, storylines are big, and they're big in the Scripture, and I want to talk to you today about what I feel is one of the most important storylines in the Bible. We're in the middle of a series trying to define and go back to our roots at, at TBA Church. Uh, TBA Church was started because two churches merged and they didn't have a, a decision made on the name, so the name was to be announced. And then it became so well known that uh, later on we decided to give it an acrostic. T is for trusting, B is for believing, and A is for acting. And last week uh, Dave Scheib did a wonderful job of dealing with trusting part one. And he said to trust is to rely upon or place confidence in someone or something. And Dave's whole message was to say, hey, we are to put all of our trust in God in every area of life. If there's an area that you can't trust him with, that's where you need to learn uh, to grow. Now today is part two of trusting, and we're going to talk about trusting God and the fact that God trusts us. I want to read you a little story. It's not a, it's not a true story, but it's, it's an ancient legend. According to the account of Jesus, after he went to glory on his, after his time on earth, and even in heaven he bore the marks on his hands of his earthly pilgrimage with the cruel cross, the spear in his side, his shameful death for us. The angel Gabriel came up to Jesus and said, Master, you suffered terribly down there. Do they know and appreciate how much you love them and what you did for them? Jesus replied, Oh, no, not yet, but right now only a handful of people in Israel know what I've done. So Gabriel was perplexed. He said, how will people learn of what you have done and your love for them? To which Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more of their friends 
to tell others about me, and then those who are told will tell others in return, and my story will ultimately be spread to the farthest reaches of the earth. Finally, all of humankind will have heard. To which Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew what poor stuff we humans are made of, and he said, yes, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if they just fail to tell? What is your other plan? To which Jesus said, I have no other plan. See, God is trusting us to get the word out about himself. And the storyline I want to deal with you about today is that God has, from the beginning of time, wanted to have a family. In fact, in Genesis 1, God starts the family. In Genesis 1, after he creates uh, the earth, we see in verse, one, uh, verse 26 of Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image, eh, according to our likeness, and let them rule. And God did that. He created in his, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God had a family meeting. In eternity past, at some point, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit got together. That was the family. And they wanted to expand the family. And so they said, let us create man in our image. And part of the image that is of God in us is the need for relationship and connection with one another and ultimately with God, our Heavenly Father. And the story of the Bible, for the most part, is the story of how that family grows and stumbles and stumbles and grows but in the end, the family vision is complete in the book of Revelation. After Jesus comes back in Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne, that's the throne of God, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. I think it's better translated, his family. There is coming a time when the family of God will be united on the earth, and God himself will be among us. And there is that in us which aches for that family connection. Even if you come from a dysfunctional family, which all of us do in one regard or another, there is that in us which hungers for connection and family. And God is at work through the Scriptures creating a family. It's at play in Genesis 1 in the first inning, and it's in play in Revelation 21 in the ninth inning. But the rest of this book, innings 2 through 8, are about the family of God and God's goal in inviting people to become a part of his family. In the Old Testament, God created people who were the inviters. The first one was Adam. And Adam was to invite people to be a part of God's family. And before Israel, all the way up to the time of Moses, God wanted individuals to come and be known by the people of God. In fact, in Genesis 4, it says, people began to be known by the Lord's name. The other translation that most Bibles have is people began to, be, to call upon the name of the Lord. But God was looking for a people, a family to call his own, to be in right relationship with him. And from Adam to Moses before Israel, that was God's goal. And then in Genesis 12, since no group came forward, in Genesis 12 we see the creation of Israel. And from, Moses in Genesis, uh, from, from, from the time of Moses all the way up to the day of Pentecost, this much of the Bible is about the family of God being accessible through Israel. And the way you became a part of the family of God, the way you became invited to the family of God, was to come to and through the nation of Israel. In fact, God had a whole tribe of Israelites called the Levites, and their job was to invite the people of the world. Sometimes they got it right. Uh, there were times when Solomon, there were times when David, there were times when people would invite others to become a part of the family, Rahab, 
was outside the family and became a part of the family. But for the most part, the people of the Old Testament, the people of Israel, uh, failed to become a part of the family. So in, in, in Acts chapter 2, the church began. And we are the church. And our main, not only, but our main job in being here is to be inviting people to become a part of the family of God. It's the only thing that we do now that we will not do in heaven. When God comes back for us and he is in our midst, like Revelation 21 teaches, at that point, all the things we do now, but one, we will do then better. We can sing now. Didn't you enjoy the worship today? Awesome, guys. Thank you. But you know, in heaven, we will sing perfectly and always on tune. For some of you, that will be great. <laughs> my wife said to my, my music son, Johnny, Johnny, I've always wanted to sing in the worst way. He said, Mom, you do. You sing in the worst way. <laughs> but when she gets to heaven, she'll sing in the best way. Now I pray, but my mind wanders. Does that happen to you? When I am in heaven in the presence of Almighty God, my mind will not wander. Now I study diligently to know what's in the book, but then I will know the book completely and fully and understand the mysteries of the Scripture. See, Now I enjoy fellowship, often with some of you, but in, in heaven I'll have perfect fellowship. But the one thing that I get to do now that I do not do in heaven is invite people to be a part of God's family. And so the big idea for the day is to remember this is God's plan. God wants you and me, us, to be inviting people to become a part of his family. There is no other plan. The big idea for today is a simple one. The inviters often failed, but that hasn't changed God's plan to have a family. He is counting on you. He is counting on me to invite people to become a part of his family. God trusts us to invite others to be a part of his family. Would you read that out loud with me? Here we go. God trusts us to invite others to be a part of his family. It's a very important reason of why we exist here at TBA. We've looked at the demographics before. Within five miles of our church building, there are over 100,000 people, and 75 or 80,000 of them have no church home. They exist outside of the family of God. And so we exist, hopefully, as a light and a group of inviters to bring them into the family. Jesus understood this was going to happen, and so he, he is at, when, he, when he lives, it's a transitional time from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Israel being the inviters to the church being the inviters. Matthew 21 is a passage, if you have your Bible turned there, it takes place on Palm Sunday. You know, in a few weeks we're going to have Easter, and the week before Easter is Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, remember that, and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're waving the palm branches, and they're about to make him king, but there are a group of Jewish leaders not happy with that. There are a group of Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law that didn't like Jesus. And they didn't like the idea of change. And I get that. I don't like the idea of change. You know. But Jesus tells a parable to these people. This is in the same chapter of the Bible as the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And he talks in parables, and he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted what? A vineyard, and he put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Now, again, in the, in the context of the parable, the landowner is God, and the vineyard is Israel. Israel is called God's vineyard in the Old Testament on several occasions. 
And those who are in charge who have rented it from the landowner are the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And God has entrusted Israel to be the inviters to the family. And he's put the, the inviters under the charge of the Jewish leaders, the renters. The parable goes on. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Now my opinion is that the servants of the landowner are the prophets of God. Because when the inviters failed, when the Levites weren't getting it done, God sent the prophets to invite others to the family. Sometimes they did really well. Sometimes there was, there was almost a humorous response. You remember the book of Jonah? Jonah is told by God, go to Nineveh. He said, no. Imagine having God speak to you and say, no. It's, you know, it's kind of like being a three-year-old, no. And God says, no, you're going to Nineveh. And so we have the adventure called the return of the swallow. He gets swallowed by the fish and he spit out on the shore. And he okay, I'm going to Nineveh. And at the end of the book, Jonah 4, is like, Jonah... Why didn't you want to go to Nineveh? Because 100,000 people were invited to the family of God and entered the family of God, and your ministry is a success. And Jonah says, that's why I didn't want to go. Those people deserve to go to hell. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 5 says, Jerusalem is the center of the nations and the lands surround her. In God's economy, Israel was the center of his program. They were the inviters. They would show the other nations what it was like to walk with the one true God. But the landowners, servants, come to the tenants who have rented the vineyard and they kill them. There are three groups of prophets in the Bible and all three are destroyed and killed and persecuted by the Jewish leadership of the day. And so the parable continues to unpack itself again he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent what? His son to them, saying, they will respect my son. And again, in the context, Jesus has shown up on Palm Sunday and said, here I am. I am God's son, Israel. I am your king. Won't you worship me? And some were calling him to be king. But the reality is the parable unfolds poorly. It says, when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And that same group that cheered Hosanna, Hosanna on Palm Sunday was in the group on Friday saying, crucify him, let's kill him. He is not our king. And so Israel is put aside for a time. I think they have a glorious future. If you were here for our Revelation study, you know that. But for a time, Israel is set aside, and the parable predicts it. Jesus says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Well, they said to him, he will bring those wretched to, wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at proper seasons. Now, who are the other vine growers? us. The other vine growers are not the Jewish leaders. The other vine growers are the inviters who replace them. It's the church. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit shows up and the church is given power to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus has come. He's died for your sins. He's been resurrected on the third day. He's coming again in power. And if you want, you can become a part of God's family forever. That's our job. 
It's the only job we get to do now that we won't get to do in heaven. I think it is the most important storyline of all of the Scripture. They got it. They got it. Jesus concludes, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, Israel, and given to a people, us, producing the fruit of it. Our job is to produce fruit. Our job is to invite people into God's family. That's called fruitfulness. They got it. You know, in the text it says, when the leaders of the Jews heard Jesus' parables, they understood he was speaking about them, and they hated him, and they plotted to seize him, but they couldn't on that day because the crowd still considered him a prophet. But they spent from Palm Sunday to Thursday night scheming a way to put Jesus to death. You see, the big idea in the message is a simple one. God trusts us to invite others to be a part of his family because as I read the book, we're the last inviters. When you read the rest of the story, we're the last group of of inviters in the program of God. And so the Gospels conclude with Jesus being alive, but the church starts in Acts 2. And then as you read the growth of the church, one man who's a great inviter is the Apostle Paul. But he didn't start out that way. The Apostle Paul went on the first missionary journey, and then the second missionary journey, and then the third missionary journey. Do you remember this? How long was the first journey? Two years. How long was the second journey? Three years. How long was the third journey? If Paul had gone on a fourth journey, how long would it have been? Of course. Paul went on the first journey. He started a church here and a church there, but it was not a great success. It wasn't ringing with thousands of converts through Galatia. And then he, then he went to Greece. He got west. He went to Greece. And he got to Thessaloniki. And he was there three months, and they kicked him out of town. And then he went to Berea, and he was there a few days, and they kicked him out of town. And they got to Philippi, and things were pretty good at Philippi for a while. And then what? You know what happened? They kicked him out of town. And then he went to Athens in Acts chapter 17. Athens, the capital of the ancient Roman world, it was the center of culture and philosophy and religion and architecture. And Paul got up on Mars Hill and he preached a wonderful sermon. It takes a long time to read that sermon. And he preached a wonderful sermon and not one person came to Jesus as far as I know. And he left Athens in defeat, not having started a church there. Things were not going too well for Paul. And he ends up in Acts 18 in Corinth. Corinth is like the dregs of the earth. It's like when all the homeless people come to Florida, they go further and further south to Miami. When they finally get out of Miami, they end up at Homestead. I'm told Homestead is where you have a lot of homeless people. They're in Lakeland. And Paul is so discouraged. And you know what what the Lord appeared to Paul and said, I'm with you. You're not going to get attacked here. No one will harm you here in Corinth. For many people in this city, what, belong to me. Now, you know what I think? I think this. I think many people in our city belong to Christ. We just haven't been inviting them yet. And that's our job. Our main job until Jesus gets back and establishes his family forever and limits inclusion after that is to say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. We'd like to invite you to be a part of God's family. I believe many people in our town, belong to Christ. They just haven't heard about Jesus yet. And so in Acts 18, Paul starts living with a very special family. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila, and they teach him 
how to do relational ministry. It's what we do. When we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus, it's the acting out part of TBA. It's the A letter. And we do a great job at loving people for the sake of Jesus. And then we win the right to share our faith. And Paul started to get that. In fact, he started to get it in chapter 17. It says, So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Isn't that a great verse? Paul did what I call marketplace ministry. That's what I get to do full time. I'm in the marketplace, in the business world, finding people that I can invite to become a part of God's family. Because, you see, we all have a storyline. All my friends that don't know Jesus yet have a storyline. And they just happen to be there. Where are the people in your life that just happen to be there? And there's a connection there. And they may not know Jesus yet. If Jesus showed up today and established the kingdom forever, they might not be a part of God's family. Those are the people that our hearts need to be tender toward And you find these people either in your family, although they're hard to reach, or in your workplace, or in your leisure activity, or in your neighborhood. Everybody has these people in their lives who just happen to be there. You know where my guys are? A lot of my guys are at Palace Pizza. Yes! As you can tell, I like Palace Pizza. And I eat in the downtown store four or five times a week. I eat with probably a dozen guys down there on a regular basis. We're seldom all there at one time. But, you know, two years ago, I started to meet with one of these guys, and he knew the rest. I said, you know, if we could ever invite him to become a part of God's family, he knows hundreds of people that he'd lead to Jesus. And so I started to meet and have lunch with him one day a week and then two days a week. And, I, you know, you can come. Any mon- Monday is, is, a, is baked ziti day. You can get a half order of baked ziti that will, that will feed an entire village. For four bucks. There's three kinds of soup at Palace Pizza. There's three kinds of salad at Palace Pizza. I almost don't even eat the pizza anymore. But those are my people. Last Sunday I was not here. Do you know where I was? I was skiing. What a dumb idea for an old, fat, gray-haired guy to ski. I hadn't skied in years. But you know what? My guys who happen to be in Palace Pizza go skiing two or three times a year. And they said, hey... Since your surgery, you're doing a lot of work. Why don't, why don't you come skiing with us? I said, okay. And while we were in the mountains, oh, there's another storyline. You know the kid that was second place in the ski slope awards? His name was Gus. Got to meet Gus's mom. Great storyline. Sad family. Mom and dad are divorced. Dad's over in Russia at, at the Olympics, and mom's behind working in a T-shirt shop. But I was so proud of Gus. Before every run, the camera came on him. And he said, hi, Mom. And I know a sweet lady in Colorado who smiled every time she saw her son. But I was out there with my guys. You can come down and join us if you like. But I'm guessing there's a place like that in your life. There are people that just happen to be there. Where you eat, where you play, where you work, where you live. Who would God put on your heart that you need to be praying for? The cool thing is two years into this program, We're just about to start a small group study with these guys because they've got all the good questions. Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Is the Bible really true? What about creation versus evolution? What about people who've never heard about Jesus? We've covered them all at Palace Pizza over the last three months. And now they trust me because they know I'm a bad skier. (laughs) But I came with no broken bones. God was as good as a miracle. 
Who in your life, who in your life just happens to be there that you can love? God has many of them in our, in our town. Two big questions to wrap this up. Who is the person in your life that happens to be there? Last year, you wrote, last week, Dave had us write down on a card an area that we were having a hard time trusting God with. We brought it up here and we prayed over them. This week, I want you to take the card out and keep it. But I want you to pray about one, maybe two, that's all, one or two names, just first names of people that just happen to be in your life that you're concerned about where they would go spiritually if the family was closed today. That's why we exist. We exist as inviters. Because in the bottom of the ninth inning, God shows up and, and the family doors are closed. But in the meantime, who's there in your life? I want you to jot down just one, or, and just their first name. And then I want you to do two things. I want you to put the card somewhere where only you will see it. Don't put it where they will see it. Put it where you will see it. And then I want you to pray regularly for that person. You're going to get a magnet today as you leave. And on the magnet, some of the goals for Vision 15 include inviting somebody to church. Most of my Palace Pizza guys are not ready to come to church. I've invited a couple of them, and they're not ready. But you know, it's okay. Because they know I'm going to be at lunch tomorrow. And I'm going to keep having these conversations until they're ready to do something here or somewhere else. They still don't know what I do. They think I must put drug deals together on the side. You know, How come you're here at Palace every day? I like the pizza. Will you do that? While the band comes, I'd like you to just ask the Lord for wisdom about who to write down. Two questions. Who is the person in your life that God would lay on your heart to pray for? And again, just, just one or two, but really, really pray for them and ask that God would open doors for you or for someone else to be an inviter. To be an inviter. Will you pray for them on a regular basis? Remember, there is no other plan. In the Trace Dias ministry, along with the Emmaus Walk and the Curcio groups, there's a little ceremony they do on the last day of the weekend where they give you a little token of your, of your weekend. And, and as they put this on you, they say, Christ is counting on you. And the great response is to be, and I am counting on Christ. We count on Christ for everything. But he's also counting on us to invite people to be a part of his family. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege that is ours to invite people to be a part of your family. And I pray that you would use us as a church to have a significant impact in the lives of the people that just happen to be there, for they're not there by accident. You put people in our lives for a reason. And Father, we would pray for them right now by name. We mention them to you. We pray for the people in our lives that we're concerned about spiritually, that you would soften their hearts and open a door for us to invite them to become a part of your family. Thank you for this good time in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, guys. My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA, and this is our Vision 15 where we share some life stories and just things that are happening within the life of the church to, to help us as a church family to stay on focus for the things that God has called us to do. This morning, Chris Roberts is here with me. Chris is the principal at Highland City Elementary. And you've heard us talk a lot about the school and the involvement we have there. In fact, one of the things many of you are familiar with is Angel Tree that we do every year with Highland City Elementary. 
And, and part of Angel Tree is taking some students from the school and their families and sponsoring them for Christmas. And it's an opportunity for some of those families who may not experience Christmas otherwise to have Christmas and, and celebrate that with their family. And so we've played a, a big role in that. And this morning, I want to do a couple of things. I want to ask Chris some questions here in a moment. And I want him just to share a little with us from the perspective of the school, the impact that TBA is having there and the, the opportunities that are there for us as a church family. But before he does that, I wanted to read a card for you. And we got several cards back from the families that we sponsored for Angel Tree. They're all out here on the bulletin board in the lobby. I'd encourage you to stop by and read those. But listen to this one card we got back. It says, thank you so much for the gifts for Jorge, age 10, and Destiny, age 8. Your gifts touched our hearts and have helped this Christmas to be a blessed one. I'm a single mother and just finished a women's and children's program at Lighthouse Ministries where I came to know Jesus. I've lived in Highland City for a year now, and this is our first Christmas in our own home after being homeless three years ago. The more I put my trust in Jesus, he is faithful. Please ask your church to pray for our family. My name is Jessica McElroy, my son Jorge Gutierrez, and daughter Destiny Gutierrez. Pray for God to stay close to us because life is not good unless he walks with us. I believe in the power of prayer. Thank you for showing us Jesus' character. May God bless you times ten. That's just one family that we touched. You know, the, the guys mentioned earlier, I had an amazing opportunity over the last week to ten days to be in Israel. And I think the biggest thing that I took away from that is just how real all of it is. You know, we read the stories in Scripture, and so many times we feel a thousand miles away, and we feel so detached. And when you, when you go and you walk the same place as Jesus walked, and you walk the same place as guys like Moses walked, and you see the things, and it becomes so practical and real, and you realize the things that we do, even though we feel detached sometimes, have an amazing impact. Most of Jesus' ministry was in this one small geographic location, and you don't realize how small of a location it is until you are there and you look across the Sea of Galilee and you see all of those areas. And I think in the same way, a lot of times the ministry that we do as a church family here, we don't realize the impact that we have or the potential to impact families that we have. And so we've asked Chris to come this morning and just share a little bit about the impact that we are having in Highland City and the opportunity that is there for us as a church family. So Chris, let me just start by asking you that very simply. Tell us a little bit about some of the impact that you have seen this TBA family make within the community and especially within the school. Thank you, Brian. First of all, I want to do want to take the opportunity to say thank you because you truly are making an impact at Highland City Elementary through your ministry, um, directly with families, directly with our teachers, uh, directly with our students, and directly in the community. Some of the things that I don't know, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not aware of, uh, Brian mentioned the, the angel tree, the Christmas time, helping some of those families, as you heard from the card, and the thank you for those that might have hit a bumpy road, a bumpy spot in the road, and, and you afforded them an opportunity to have a Christmas that they haven't had, it sounds like, in three years. Um, Christmas in July, I know you do some things where you do things for our teachers at our school, and then it's great the first week our teachers are back. We have a wonderful lunch, and teachers are blessed to have materials and, and things that, uh, that you all have provided for them, paper, uh, items for their classrooms. Um, we did a cleanup day last December in conjunction with Christ Community Church, some other members of the community where we did a beautification of our campus. And if you came right now, you would say, where is that? 
Our school's under a little bit of a renovation, um, but that's a possibility, another opportunity to, when they release that building back to us, to clean up those grounds and those areas. Um, the food bank, you know, providing food for some, some of our families in need at our church. And then there's always opportunity for mentoring and tutoring, which I'll talk a little bit more. Wonderful. Chris, the next thing I'd like to ask you is just describe for us a little bit about the Highland City area, the Highland City community that you know. I think one of the things we've come to realize is in just the last few months as we've talked with some of you, we talk about Highland City, and you have a picture of what Highland City is that's very different than what we've been describing. And so talk to us just a little bit about where is the Highland City community and what does that look like from your perspective? What are some of the needs that you see within the community and, and how we can impact there? First of all, the Highland People often mistake the Highland City community with the South Lakeland community. It's not. They're a very separate community. They're very prideful in their community. I will tell you that I just glance over and I see the Holtz over to my left. They're longtime residents of Highland City. There's a lot of great family tradition that goes on in Highland City. If I were to walk out of the school grounds, I can pretty much walk to anywhere I need to walk to within about five minutes if I truly needed to get to my families. We have about three or four buses that come into our school, but if you took every kid off the bus, off every one of the buses, it probably would not even fill a quarter of one bus. So we're a neighborhood school. Our families take great pride in our school. Our kids, I've been at, been at four or five other schools in my 20-year career in education, and I would not leave the Highland City School. They're going to have to force me out, let's just put it that way that way. Um, it, so there's great pride in the community. The kids come to school for the right reason and they come with the best that they have every day. And that's the important piece. Um, they might lack in the material things sometimes, but I think there's much more uh, to a child than that. So, you know, there, there's great opportunity. If you ever want to come and see what truly Highland City area really is, stop by the school. I'll be glad to walk you around the neighborhood because we won't have to get in the car and go too far. Uh, it, but it's a wonderful little community with a lot of potential but need. Well, just to give you some kind of some landmarks, you know, Chris and I were talking before the service, and he was talking about Highland City when he describes that. It looks like from Clubhouse Road to 540A, from Strickland Avenue out just across 98. So it's just a small area that we call Highland City community or Highland City proper, I think, is, is the word that you used. And, and uh, so within that community, it really is not difficult for you to drive through the community and pray for the community and, and see some of the needs that are there and ways that we can plug in and serve in that way. Chris, let me ask you one final question. I know that we as a church have tried to partner in several different ways with the school, but tell us just a little bit about how we as a church family can help at Highland City. Um, you know, what is the potential for impact, especially like with the tutoring and mentoring you talked about? How does that play out? I, it, it's great to have things. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to have supplies for our classrooms, backpacks for our kids. But I think the greatest thing that we can ever provide for a, a child is the opportunity to form a bond and relationship um, because those have longer-lasting implications uh, to me. Um, we have about 420 kids. Uh, we are not a Title I school, 
we're always right on the cusp, and I can go into that further. That means we get federal money because of our income of our families. We're always right on the border of that. But if I could ask if there's one thing that, that could be provided would be mentoring and tutoring at the school site. And I didn't expand on that too much in the first service, so I'm going to try to do a quick, easy uh, piece because sometimes people go, I, I don't want to come out there and try to teach a kid how to read or do math. I, there's some of those things I don't know. It's not that. You can come out and read an AR book, let a child read to you, um, come out and let them call out their spelling words to them, let them sit there and do their homework with you. Um, just the opportunity, and that's really what it involves, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, once a week. If you have, if you have more than that, I, that, would, that would be wonderful. But the opportunity to form those bonds and relationships with those children that are are in need of that, and, I, and no disrespect to any woman sitting in this congregation, but I feel students need positive male role models in their life. And sometimes, guess what? I might be the only one at our school. We're not blessed with a lot of men, so I feel I have that opportunity to be a dad to 420 kids each and every day. All right, so that's kind of the opportunity if we have any uh, Spanish-speaking Members that would be willing to come out, that has become a, a need. We have about 20% Hispanic population at our school, and that's increased over the past three to four years. So really that, that would be the, the one need if I, if I had to, to ask, that, that would be it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, and it's neat because um, actually this year I'm meeting with a, a first-grade boy to do the, the tutoring and mentoring, and it's, it's very simple. We sit down and read a book together. You know, and he'll read a page, and I'll read a page, and we just go back and forth, and it's first grade reading level. I can handle it. So could you. Trust me. But we'll read a book together and go take an AR test. He knows what to do. He logs into the computer, and he goes through the whole thing. I'm just kind of following along. But the conversations that we get to have and the interaction that we get to have, that's what makes the difference. And here's a student who, in the classroom, struggles to stay on task and struggles to focus on the things he's supposed to be doing. But one-on-one, he's a totally different boy. And one-on-one, that interaction that he gets is amazing. And for him, what matters is not that I read a book with him or not that I help him with his math or do those things. What matters is that there's someone who cares enough to show up every week and sit with him for an hour. And that's the opportunity that I get, and it's, it's been amazing. And all of us could do that. It's just a matter of fitting that into our schedules. You know, as Chris mentioned, they have a lot of students who really need someone from a Hispanic background, someone who can speak Spanish specifically to be able to relate with them at a different level. So I would just throw that challenge out there. If you can speak Spanish, whether you're Hispanic or not, if you can speak the language, that'd be a wonderful opportunity to plug in. But if you're like me and the only thing you can say in Spanish is how to get to the bathroom, you can still come and help a mentor and tutor as well because they need, they need role models who are coming and working with the kids. We have an amazing opportunity to have an impact in the community through that. So... Would you go ahead and stand, and we're going to close out this morning. I'll just close this in a word of prayer. Thank you so much for being here. And I pray that as you leave today, that you wouldn't just let the message of today go in one ear and out the other, but that you would truly take time to think about those one or two people in your life that God is trusting you to show his love and his grace and his mercy to, to be Jesus' hands and feet in their life and to do life with them. And like Ed talked about, sometimes it's as simple as showing up and having lunch with them. Sometimes it's as simple as going on a ski trip or doing something else where you're doing life together. So I pray that you would do that and embrace that.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we've been able to come and to worship you. We thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy to be able to worship you, God, to be able to come together as your family in spirit and in truth and to lift up your name and to give you praise and to give you glory and to learn together. And I pray that as we go from here today that you would convict our hearts and that you would make our hearts heavy for those who you have called us to reach and to impact for you and help us to truly live as your hands and feet. God, we love you, and we offer this day to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here in worship today. Have a wonderful day.